Welcome to JP Morgan TV. I'm Bruce Kasman. With me this week is Joe Lupton. Hey, Bruce. Hey, Joe. Um, I think we should probably focus on Europe. Uh, we've had the ECB this week. We'll have the Bank of England next week. Uh, but perhaps more importantly, uh, Europe is, in many respects, the weakest link in the global economy. Uh, and, you know, the issues we're dealing with now is just to assess what's the nature of that risk, how much does it uh, uh, threaten the the global outlook. And um, I, I, is it fair to say, would you, would you agree, Joe, that we're getting somewhat less concerned about the tail on the downside here as we get more information, particularly on the on the public policy response to the crisis? Yeah, I mean, I think there are are two areas that we're feeling a little bit better about. And and this really contrasts with, it seems like a, a race to the bottom for a lot of people out there. And you read these headlines where it's just like people are talking about the sky falling uh, across across Europe. And, and I don't want to sugarcoat anything. We still have recession there. But I think as you put it is right, that there's a really bad tail that has been floating around there. And we feel like that some of that tail is being taken out. I would point to two things. One is, um, you know, one of the big tales was that there might be rationing, outright rationing of natural gas supplies in Europe. And what we've been encouraged by is is all of the reports showing that inventories have ramped up very quickly. And even with Nord Stream 1 having been completely shut down, it now looks very likely that uh, uh, inventories are going to get to kind of above 90% capacity by the time we get to, to November. And I think that's something that would carry Europe through a normal winter. Now, a bad winter is a wild card, but the other wild card I think has taken off the table, or at least largely taken off, and that's Russia, because they've shut the supplies to Nord Stream 1 down completely at this point. And so they can't really do, they've played their trump card, so to speak. So there's still some concerns about flows through Ukraine to Central Eastern Europe that can feed into Western Europe. But leaving that aside, I think the big tail risk around that, I think, has been dialed back in the past couple of weeks here the second well, one let me just be, be be careful here so that 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 risk of rationing has been dialed back but there's still fairly substantial pass through to come through on the price side we're still talking about inflation staying um 10 or higher through most of the region so there is still a pretty big drag here there is but i think the said... tail risk i would just say uh before moving to the other aspect you know the the tail risk which was getting priced in that saw ttf go above 300 at one point you know that's taken out because ttf has come back down towards kind of the prices that we've been looking for so i think that that's in line with our downbeat baseline yeah, I think part of the TTF pressure is simply the fact that they've been buying so much, and that's been putting the spot price up there. And right, and that, that's another reason and that's why the, it's coming I mean, down. the way I put it is prices work, right? I mean, the prices drew in a lot of LNG from the rest of the world, and that's why their inventories are ramping up very quickly, and that's why they don't have to be as dependent upon the natural gas flows. So I think that's, you know, I guess you can. It's a negative because it costs a lot of money, but we're we're getting through that, and I think you know to the right, extent. So they, the rationing channel becomes less of a threat, but you still have the prices that have been paid to build these inventories are still needing to work through the uh, the retail uh, price, uh, and that is the drag that 
is not going away here. Right. And, and but on that front, to, to your point, and maybe you're just setting me up for it, is is to say that the other... That's what I'm doing, Joe. I'm setting you up. <laughs> I can read your mind. Uh, you know, the the other positive that is kind of taking some, some tail risk out is that, boy, the fiscal supports, which we've been pointing out for really the better part of the year now, that has been cushioning the the rise in prices it took another big step up this week both on the on the UK side with uh, the new prime minister there uh, talking about kind of pretty pretty darn aggressive supports that could add as much as uh, would we say maybe take Five as much as six percent of GDP yeah could cost that much I mean you know how that translates and what that actually turns into it might be as much as a you know maybe a two two and a half percent reduction in inflation and boost real income, real GDP uh, by something on the order of a percent, depending on your multipliers. I mean, for what it's worth, and we've, we we scrambled about this all afternoon, uh, but not to bore the listeners, I'll just say at the end of the day, we revised the UK forecast up uh, about eight tenths uh, in response to the UK uh, measures. And then in Europe, uh, it's still kind of being worked through, but everything is pointing in the directions of a, a wide range of supports that go from price caps to windfall profit taxes on producers who have low input costs, aren't facing the, the high LNG prices, uh, and then just outright subsidies to households. Um, you know, these wide ranging policies then I think take out some of the, the worst potential outcomes. And if we get all of that, my guess is we might actually nudge up our, our forecast. And like the UK, where we no longer see a recession even taking place, maybe the euro area could skirt a recession as well. Right now, we've got a mild recession there to begin with. Right. And I think that's the um, important point here is that the balance of risk is taking out some of that tail because that is the the context that we're thinking about things globally on the other side of the more negative uh, picture on 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 global growth we're we're not feeling particularly better about china here so that's that's something we need to kind of grapple with as well yeah and and this week we we saw a little bit um, kind of more of the same in the sense that the credit numbers came out this week and usually we look to the credit numbers um, you know, you get a strong number. It's indicative of policymakers ramping up support for the economy. And what's happening now is you're getting the reports of policymakers trying to ramp up support for the economy, but the demand side for credit seems to be somewhat weak. So uh, you saw that the credit numbers were on the strong side on kind of a, like a month-on-month -month increase, but you have to remember there's strong seasonals in these data, and it was actually relative to a seasonal. I, I would say the data continues to be on the weak side, indicative of kind of demand in the economy um, kind of not not really doing what we needed to do to hit our forecast and flagging some of those downside risks, combined with all the anecdotes that you know COVID is you know the lockdowns are, are are ramping up with large portions of the population kind of sitting in lockdown. I think though this is a real concern for for China and that we could be sitting maybe not as bad as what we saw in the second quarter, but certainly undercutting what uh, uh what we're expecting for a bounce back in the second half. And next week's date is probably going to you know, it shows some of the weakness in the retail side where we're looking for retail sales to be down a what a couple uh, a couple tenths, is it? Uh, yeah, a couple tenths. Yeah. And then we, we see IP moving up, but I would say the risks are maybe to the downside on that one. So what's interesting is um 
we may have been taking some of the tail out of Europe, but we certainly still have weakness there. We have concerns building around China decelerating here, and we're getting a pretty consistent message from central banks that they're not only on the move, but they're on the move pretty quickly. I mean, the I was just looking at the you know the forecast we have for the three month move in DM central banks between uh, uh, the end of the second quarter and the end of the third quarter, and it's about it's 125 basis points on average. That of course incorporates a BOJ that's not doing anything, but uh, even looking at the aggregate, um, this is the biggest three month move we've had on central bank policy in the DM since uh, 1980. Uh, so we're really on the move here, uh, and I think uh, you know the question is what are we supposed to be looking for in terms of where central banks take us in an environment in which they are guiding us towards more, but they're not guiding us to how much more. So Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, Powell addressed this a number of, or at least touched on this issue a number of press conferences ago when people were asking, well, how do you know when when you get to what you're calling somewhat above neutral? And he, you know, he gave an answer that bugged me initially because usually policymakers are supposed to be somewhat forward-looking and have a model in mind, but he just gave an answer of, we'll know when we get there which is sounds like very data dependent right and in a sense kind of losing sight of the long and variable lags of of monetary policy that you have to have some model in mind when you're looking ahead but uh you know I think we're in a world and and we've been touching on this a, a lot in our research of not knowing where you know the the natural the you know the the Nehru is not knowing um, you know, where our star is. And in this environment, you know, you just got to look at the actual data. And so I think they're going to wait to see until they get some confidence. And they've said this many times, uh, confidence that inflation is on a pretty, pretty steady path downward. And we've suggested that we need to see at least, a, uh, you know, downward trend in core inflation down towards three with an idea that we're moving below three when we look uh, out over the next kind of six months or so. And until that happens, you know, I think they, they keep moving, uh, keep moving upward. Yeah. And just to be uh, clear on that, we've had the Bank of Canada, the ECB go 75 this week, we're looking for the Bank of England doing the same next week, and then we're looking for the Fed to uh, uh, deliver another 75 at the end of uh, next month. And I think it's important when you describe the um, the idea that central banks are going to try and, 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 and move till they feel comfortable, they get inflation moving down towards uh, uh, 3% or less, that we realize that's not probably going to be an, a, a, a judgment that's very sensitive to these headline swings we're forecasting, either down in the U.S. where next week we have another flat um, CPI report in in our um, uh, you know forecast, or where uh, the European uh, ECB forecast where we have one percent forecasted gains on a monthly basis for the next three months on the on the HICP. Uh, those are events that are very energy market driven and it's going to be the dynamics of what you described how you look at the forward path on core inflation with some some notion of what the data is telling you on inflation what the data is telling you on slack and particularly labor market slack and um, uh, also of course issues around things like how does the inflation psychology process uh, evolve here in a world in which central banks are clearly concerned that a persistent and large shock here is going to start to feed through to wage and uh, price setting. Bruce, what happens? I mean, let me ask you a 
question. I don't think I've asked this to you before, so I'm putting you on the spot. Like, what what happens if if inflation, core inflation, let's say, does kind of move below three, and let's say it's comfortably below three, and we're sitting here next year, but wages are still kind of running hot. Does uh, I mean, in a world where central banks pre all of this mess, pre pandemic, was talking about inclusivity and maybe wanting to see the labor share higher, would they actually welcome that, or? Would they kind of say, well, no, we really need to get wages down, even though core inflation, that's our remit, but we also need to see wages get lower? Well, I think if you had wage inflation running well above what central banks thought were consistent with the uh, inflation being sustainable at, at somewhere close to their objective, and I'd say in the US, if you just use a simple rule of thumb, if you think productivity is running one and a half, then you probably are thinking you should be sustaining average hour, uh, average hourly earnings or whatever labor cost measure you're using, um, probably um, not that much higher than two, um, uh, excuse me, two, uh, excuse me, two, uh, four, excuse me. You want to get the, the, the gap between that to be in the mid twos. Right, so, two and a half. You know, if, you have, if you have one and a half on productivity, then two and a half higher than that, 4% or so. We're running over five right now, at least by the measures that we have. You need some moderation in that probably to be consistent. And, and I think, productivity I think, surely isn't running one and a half percent. But I think the the other, you know, you you talk about labor costs and we talk about um, inflation indicators. I think the uh, the important link that also needs to be put in the picture is actually what the labor market is generating in terms of demand and supply. And I think in some in some basic sense. Um, the Fed's going to know that it's going to take time for the inflation picture and the wage picture to kind of, uh, you know, come back to whatever its equilibrium is. And I think in the near term, what it needs to achieve is to have the labor market not tighten any further. And probably, I think we've gotten to the point where they, as well as most of the DM central banks, uh, would like to see labor markets soften. So I think probably the most important um, indicator for thinking about what gets them to pause in the near term is to be confident from their point of view that you're going to have a, a labor market outcome that's going to be pushing the unemployment rate modestly higher at this stage, which I think for the U.S. means payroll growth, probably not much. It's, it's complicated, Bruce, because what if they felt like the labor market was moving back into the mode of what we had pre-pandemic, where the unemployment rate was low, but wages were not moving that much? Well, if you had wages moving down and you had core inflation moving down, and it felt like things were coming back to where you were before, then yeah, then your life is easy. I mean, if everything- But then you don't like need to see the unemployment rate moving up. Well, if you, if you get um, labor market outcomes that at, at best stabilize the unemployment rate, wage inflation, which comes down towards 4%, and core inflation, which comes down above, below 3%, if all those things happen together, then you're potentially okay. Right. You're, you're just saying basically things go back to the way they were before the before the pandemic, and that all this was somewhat transitory in nature. All the uh, I'm not yeah, saying, but those are a lot of things. That oh no, I agree. To, I agree. All right. I mean, it's not just they're certainly not, not in a position where they here. can make that gamble, right? Well, I think in 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 a environment in which we think that regardless of where we eventually settle, the motion on. Uh, labor costs is likely to be stickier. And there's a good chance that a good portion of the service price uh, picture is going to be sticky as well, that 
they will have some um, appetite for pausing at some point once they get the labor market to be soft enough. And that I think, you know, means payroll growth has to probably slow to something close to 100,000 a month. You get there in an environment which policy stances are in their own mind in, in restrictive territory, then you can argue for debating the issue of a pause. And we think we might get there around a 4% Fed policy rate. That's our forecast. Uh, we think we might get there similarly in um, uh, Europe more quickly, of course, because you've got the uh, the recession dynamic in place in terms of what they'll, they'll see but and think about the you don't get the unemployment rate moving up with 100,000 on payrolls, do you? You you may if you're continuing to get somewhat better than normal labor supply well that's the that's the transitory element right so it's uh i i i'm more in that camp as you know from our right but you would i think if you had labor costs continuing to run high but not accelerating and you had that dynamic i think that's the case where you can give the fed some opportunity to pause i mean personally we're gonna have to end this here i think you can get dynamics here which give the fed a willingness to pause i think they still are not in a position where they really want to cause a recession they want to give this thing a chance to to give them better uh outcomes but i think we are not likely to get the the news that is is going to say hey the fed gets to somewhere like four percent on policy rates and then everything turns out fine i think we're we're probably going to have a more difficult uh, set of trade-offs and they'll probably have to at some point make the decision that yeah the u.s unemployment rate needs to go not to four percent but probably something closer to six percent right but we'll in, see that's a in, slower in the spirit story. of data dependence as we wrap it up here we probably should note that next week we do get both retail sales and cpi and retail sales headline is down four tenths on gasoline prices coming off control we actually have on the soft side of minus a tenth uh, and I think that's just based on some of our own internal credit card data looking on the soft side. Uh, and then on the CPI, which is probably more important for the conversation we just had, is uh, headline is going to be soft again, zero, and that's the energy coming off. But core uh, running at three-tenths, which I think is a reminder of some of the pressures that are, are still there. Yeah, and I guess we've gone on plenty here. So with that, uh, let's thank everybody for joining us and hope to continue the conversation next week on... JP Morning TV.